Welcome to How to Catholic with Kevin and Lisa Cotter, a podcast dedicated to helping you practically live your Catholic faith with excellence. It's season four, episode four, and something new is about to go down on the podcast because tomorrow we're putting up the first of many liturgical lowdown mini episodes. In order to prepare you for this new series today, we are giving you some vision for why to live liturgically and filling you in on some notes about the liturgical calendar that will help you to understand what you're listening to each month on the liturgical lowdown episodes. You won't want to miss it, so stay right here. Hello and what? <clears throat> Are you okay? No, I had something in my throat when we started. Was it a frog? Uh, I don't think so. But I was gonna welcome everyone to the show and then say it's June twenty fourth. <laughs> you just had to look at your computer to see the date, which is the feast of Saint John the Baptist. And of course, tonight we're having a bonfire. Yes, of course, because that's what our family does. No, that's not what our family does. That's what the church does. That's what the church does. On June twenty fourth. Yeah, traditionally. The Feast feast of St. John the Baptist. His birthday. You all knew that, right? Happy birthday, St. John the Baptist. Yeah. You're 2000 and about 50. Mm, Yeah, almost 2050 probably. Yeah, I'm trying to remember the full story behind that. It's in some European countries. They have a bonfire because he's the one who heralded the light of the world. Mm. So that's why they have bonfires. But the tradition is you burn like old furniture or something weird really we yes. have someone that to burn <laughs> we do as we're getting ready old to furniture move i love european traditions so i was like how did that happen i don't know yeah you you burn like stuff that you don't need anymore i, I well, can't we can definitely burn some things but we're gonna burn some things tonight it's gonna be great no we do have a ton of scrap wood that we need to get rid of that's right so we're gonna have a bonfire tonight and be european and celebrate and the just feast. the church yeah and that's what this episode's all about is liturgy and that's a little bit what our mini episode coming out is all about lisa do you want to explain yes so we've announced that we're going to be doing these monthly mini episodes the liturgical lowdown and the first one is going to be up on tuesday so tomorrow for you all get excited yes for the month of july and i'm i'm really excited about this because leaving liturgically has been a long time passion of mine. I know we've talked about it on the podcast mm-hmm. before, but I thought I should really make sure to prove this here. For those of you who didn't know, from 2010 to 2014, I actually had a mommy blog called Catholic Missionary Family. You can't get to it anymore because we stopped paying for the domain because I was doing the math and I was like, oh, this is going to add up uh, over the years. So I had to cut it off at some point. So I did. Anyways, on the mommy blog, I talked a lot about uh, what we were doing in our house liturgically the way that we were living out liturgically so it was a lot of fun putting this episode together and going through with the archives because I can still access it and I can put up links to it but you can't just like browse the blog spot site anymore it just doesn't it doesn't function properly so anyways I can still go through all the archives so it was really fun to see pictures of like six-year-old Mary Claire doing a craft for a feast day and all that so it's it's not going to be totally mommy blog 
liturgical living. Uh, it's going to be more general for whatever stage of life you're in, but um, I'm excited about this. Yeah. And for this episode, as we start the mini episodes, we thought, well, it'd be great to have just the foundations as far as liturgical living goes. That way, when you listen to the mini episodes, you have all that in the background. And so this episode today is really just to really give some overarching liturgical concepts that we'll dis- you'll be discussing during each mini episode. So you don't have to explain it every single time you go through it. Because that would be annoying. That would be annoying. Yes. And also to give some vision, a little bit like why. Why would you even live this way? Why would you even care to try to incorporate the life of the church into the life of our home? Um, but I should give a little preference here. So I do not have a degree from a liturgical institute. Um, no, you do not. I do not. And when we talk about liturgical living here, we're not necessarily, we're, no, we're not. We're not talking about like the mass as liturgy or, you know, kind of the mystical side of it. We're talking about living out the life of the church and the life of the home, living out the liturgy in what's called our domestic church, which would be your home. And whether you have a family or not, like your home, right? So um, I'm just a laywoman who loves tradition. I love history. I love integrating what's going on in the church into my own life, into the life of my kids. And so it's going to be just a ton of practical ways for you to be able to understand what's going on in the church each month, liturgically, and then also live it out. So we're going to give three reasons to live liturgically on the episode today. But I do, do you want to know, did we really start with that open? Did that open just really happen and we kept going? Yeah. That's great. I just I really, didn't feel like hitting I'll, record again. Yeah, no, that's fine. I'll. That I'll, happens like at least 25% of the time when Kevin starts an episode. <laughs> he says something and then he has to clear his throat. Just me. So I thought this time, um, forget it. We're just going to keep well, rolling. I'll, rem- I'll remember that. And so the first thing... Uh, first reason for to live liturgically is what, Lisa? Number one is living liturgically teaches us about life. Hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, life itself is cyclical, just like the liturgical calendar is cyclical. And within the liturgical calendar, we have high times like Christmas and we have low times like Lent. And that's a lot of what life looks like. Life has its highs and its lows and it has its ordinary time where things are just kind of on, you know, kind of autopilot, kind of cruising along. But it's an amazing thing to be able to live with the cycle of the church because it prepares you for the highs and lows of life. So let's say you contemplate suffering during Lent. Well, then when suffering comes your way, you're better equipped to handle it because you spent time meditating on suffering. You spent time intentionally thinking about its purpose and its meaning, and so you can handle it better. Or, or when we're contemplating joy during the season of Christmas, you're better equipped to embrace joy when it comes your way and not think, oh, I'm, I'm unworthy of such happiness, but to realize, no, joy is a part of life. Like the Lord wants us to rejoice and have joy in our life. And so living this way, I just, I think it, it's natural mm-hmm. and we're breathing with the life of the church. Yeah. And I think that's just so it's a little bit of how we're made as human beings. Um, we ultimately, I think human beings thrive having a rhythm to our life, an order, a balance, a structure, stability, all these things help really bring life over the years. And sometimes we have this idea that, Oh, like if we have this spontaneity, like that brings life or we just do something different. And it is important to do things differently. And actually the liturgical calendar brings differences as we go. But when we have that order, when we have that rhythm, when we have that balance and that stability, I think that's where life flourishes. And so I think the liturgical, the idea of liturgical living 
over the years, through the patterns, through doing things over and over again, as you go through the year, I think really builds life and in particular builds family life in just a really dynamic way. There's just things that we do that our kids constantly go, oh my gosh, I remember we did this and, and that and I just love this tradition. And you can just tell like when you get to those spots how much they enjoy it and we're just in some ways just getting started. So it's, uh, yeah, it's just beautiful. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that was our first reason to live liturgically was living liturgically teaches us about life. The second way is living liturgically deepens our love and commitment to our faith. Yes. I mean, I'm sure you've probably heard it said, like, we can't love what we don't know. Hmm. And if you live the liturgical year well for a year, you really learn. I mean, it's like living out, like, everything in the catechism, basically. Like, you really learn almost all the foundations of what our faith teaches if you're living with the feasts and the seasons and and intentionally entering into those days. Um, and it just helps you to fully embrace your faith. So throughout the liturgical calendar, we have feast days for kind of all the major moments in the Bible. There's a feast yep. day for that, right? Like yeah. it kind of sets you up and it introduces you to all the saints and it introduces you to some of the major historical events. Like there's like Our Lady of, is it Lepanto? Am I saying, is that? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So like there's like, and then you learn like the history of that story and then it teaches you the history of our church. So when you, when you live in this, you learn so much about the Catholic Church, about our faith, and it's just a very simple way to be intentional and keep it in your forefront and deepen your love. Yeah, I hadn't thought about this. I don't think it's heretical, but it's almost like the liturgical calendar is another catechism in a way. Like you can read about our faith and understand it, but when you live out the faith and the rhythm rhythms of the church life, like it just teaches you so much about who the church is and why she exists and all the different dynamics within her. I, I think it's just, yeah, so enriching for sure. Um, the other thing that comes to mind with this is really this idea of story. I think we've talked about story a lot on the podcast before. We have an episode on how to story. I love story, but what liturgical living does for me is really plant us within the story. And this goes back even before Christianity into Judaism. Uh, even today with Passover, uh, modern day Jews, if you're traditional, when you do the prayers for the Passover, uh, you say things like, when we came out of Egypt. And when they say we, they don't mean like our ancestors. When you celebrate the Passover, they're celebrating as if they themselves, the people here and now who are celebrating the Passover, are actually coming out of the Passover. And that's many of the ways that the Jews celebrated these liturgical events. And that's really given to us in Catholicism as well, most notably in the Eucharist, as we really relive, re-embody, re uh, and uh, really Made, make present again uh, Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. And I think uh, as the Eucharist is the source and summit of our faith, that really carries over into all these other events as we're re-experiencing, whether it be Advent and Jesus' is coming, whether it be Lent, um, and, and really that, that fasting by our Lord, the, the times of the Israelites in the desert, we're reliving these things. And we when we live it with Jesus, when we live it with the Jews, when we live it with the early church, or the saints, whatever it might be, we just come to know that story so much better because it actually makes an imprint on our own life as well. All right, time for number three. Number three, which is living liturgically creates a Catholic culture. And I think to me, this this is, I think, why I'm so passionate about this because we live in a post-Christian world. Like, I, you know, our presidents used to get 
um, you know, go on the air at Christmas and talk about Jesus and wish everyone a Merry mm-hmm. Christmas. That doesn't happen anymore, right? Not not in the same way at all. Or they'd like announce like a day of fasting and prayer. Like during the Civil War, Abraham Lincoln would be like, we're all going to pray and fast for three days as a nation. Just really cool stuff. Yeah. And we don't, we don't live in that Christian world anymore. Uh, you know, and faith used to really be the air that we breathe. We have a friend who grew up in New York City or in the greater New York City area. And he said, yeah, as kids, when people ask, where are you from? You wouldn't, you wouldn't say like, oh, this street or this neighborhood. You'd say St. Pat's. Like you'd say your parish, your parish was how you identified yourself. And it used to be that that really was your, your community was, was your church. It was the focal point of the way that you celebrated. It was the way that you, um, you just, you lived and breathed within your parish community. And that was the rhythm of your life. Uh, and that's not the case anymore, um, naturally. And so we have to fight for it because if we don't form our culture, our culture will form us. And so it's really important that we are intentionally living our Catholic faith, not just uh, in certain areas of our life, but that it becomes the air we breathe. Yeah, I don't think, I love all the points you made. I, I don't think we can be neutral on this. We can't just say, oh, like, I won't be in the world, but I might not celebrate my Catholic faith. Like, just being in the world has an effect on us. It's almost like erosion. It, it just, it's going to happen. We're going to start looking like the world, but we really have to renew. St. Paul tells us in Romans 12 too, like we have to renew our minds and be transformed. And the only way we can do that is really by trying to embody the faith. And I think the best way to do that is, one of the best ways to do that is through liturgical living, embodying these stories and transforming our minds to be focused on these events and these stories and these things rather than what the world constantly offers us. And we'll talk about that a little bit more as we go, but um, so, so important to do that. So those were our three reasons to live liturgically because one, living living liturgically teaches us about life. Number two, living liturgically deepens our love and our commitment to our faith. And number three, living liturgically creates a Catholic culture. And now it's time for our Catholic hack. And I'm really excited about this one. I think it's really great. And the Catholic hack is to auto-tithe. And this could apply to your parish, of course, but also ministries like Focus or Religious Order or Social Justice. Um, We just did this ourselves with our own uh, Archbishop uh, Appeal. And there's a couple reasons for this. First, you want to auto-tithe because it's going to make sure that you actually tithe, which is really great to actually give the money and make sure you don't go, oh, I was on vacation or we went to another parish or whatever. Or I don't have a checkbook, so I don't know what I'm supposed to put in the basket. Or I never carry cash like (laughs) ever because I'm a millennial. Right. Yeah. I just can't put my credit card number in the basket every week. Which some really cool Protestant churches have like a reverse ATM at the back of the church and you can just like sign up there or like. Like give a donation on your way out. Mm -hmm. So I think that's really cool. Crazy. Yeah. But um, yeah. So I think that's really important. The second thing is um, it just really lowers the cost of all the intake. So whenever you make a donation, someone has to take that money or that check or whatever it is and handle it and take it to the bank and process it, all those different things. And here's another key when you're doing auto tithe is to not use your credit card. We know this because we're in focus, but most people don't. When people use credit cards, any merchant, any church, whoever it might be, they usually have to pay about 3% back to that that credit card company and they have to do processing fees as well. But if you use a check, 
like use your, or your bank routing yeah, number. Yeah, yeah, your routing, routing number, check number, things like that, account number. Then it's way less. It's like a half percent compared to 3%. So that's like $2.50 for every $100 that a church receives. That definitely adds up over time. So auto tithing, not only giving more, uh, or not only making sure that you give, but also that you'd give more as well. Doing it that way is really huge. Mm-hmm. And it kind of reminds me, I don't know the verse, but it's like, don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. Like yeah. <laughs> when you put it on auto, you don't, even, you don't think about it as much. Um, and you do, and that's important that you do. But at the same time, it's not like, oh, well this month, I don't know. I'm just not going to give anything this month. It just is like, nope, it's part of the plan. My church is expecting it and it's just going to, it's just happening. Yep. Yeah. That's all about setting goals. It just makes it really easy to accomplish them. So Get your auto tithe on if you have not already. Put it on auto. Okay, well, we just went through three reasons to live liturgically. That's kind of our vision portion of the show. Usually it's a little bit smaller, but living liturgically is so important. Uh, Also, we're having these many episodes, so that was expanded a bit. But now we're going to go on four notes about the liturgical gear. And this one's really fun because if you haven't, if you're not convinced to live liturgically yet, I think these notes are going to help you just dive deeper and maybe help you think a little bit more and understand why this is so important, some of the cool elements and aspects. And these are really the things I don't want to have to, have to explain every time. So yeah, it's going to make more sense if you're listening to the mini episodes. Yep. And, right. and, and I think some of these are going to be like, oh, I never knew that. Like <gasps> I never, I, I always heard those things, but I didn't know what they meant. I hope so. To love my impression of our yeah. listeners. I'm sure they loved it. <laughs> okay. The first one is, a feast dates, it's complicated, right? Feast days, it's it's a little it's a little bit complicated. Um, you'd think it'd be simple, right? Like, oh, well, this day is this person's feast day or whatever. But there's a long history behind it, and I can't even get into everything. But I think it's important to understand a little bit of the background. So, first of all, our current calendar of the general Roman calendar, which dictates our feast days and such has four different types of feast days. There's optional memorials and memorials. So going from the lowest ranking is an optional memorial, and then there's a memorial. And these these can be kind of localized. So it might not be a, a feast or a celebration day for the church universal, but it might just be for a specific country or even a specific region uh, to celebrate that person. Or so, a specific order. So like Capuchins will be like, oh, we're celebrating this feast day today because he's a saint who's a Capuchin. Yeah, so you're not gonna every, not in every church are you gonna see them celebrate that feast day at the mass, or not, are they? Gonna, they're not gonna mention that that particular day because um, it can be localized. So, and those are kind of like the lesser of feast days. They're not, they're technically not feast days because a feast day is something else. A feast day is a date that's for everybody. So it's a feast that Church Universal, no matter where you live, every single Catholic church is celebrating this saint on this particular day. So, like feast days would include like Saint Francis of Assisi. Or Saint Teresa of Lisieux, or Saint Teresa of Avila, just like very major saints. Yes, very major saints or events. Yeah, yeah, and I don't even actually know if those particular people are actual feast days or not. Those were guesses, but they're educated guesses, and I felt pretty good. Possibly, about them. possibly, you'd have to look it up. Um, like all the apostles, those are all feast days. Or like uh, many of the apostles are our next category. Well, yes, their feast days are above. I should say. Yes, feast days are above. Yes, they're in the higher categories. What, what would I told you be? this is complicated. Okay, and then the highest category is a solemnity. So these are our highest days of celebration. Some solemnities are holy days of obligation, but not all solemnities are holy days of obligation. So, for example, St. Joseph, if you say St. Joseph, March 19th, 
is a, a solemnity, but it's not a holy day of obligation. But mm-hmm. you should go to Mass on that day. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay, so these dates, many of them are set in stone. It's like, this is the day. But some of the days are moved. They're kind of like moved around because they're based upon the date of Easter or Christmas. So, for example, the Friday following the second Sunday after Pentecost, because that's not complicated, is the Sacred Heart of Jesus. So it's hard because you can't just put that on your calendar because it's going to flow based upon when Easter is. Or I feel like the Annunciation this year was like on Good Friday. Yes. That's another piece that kind of makes it complicated. Yes. So some, it, there's some feast, sorry. Which, which is a technical term that the church uses, punted. They're like, we're going <laughs> to punt it. Yeah. No, there is a technical word for it. Um, I can't remember what it is. To punt. <laughs> it gets punted. Okay. So like if an optional memorial or memorial falls on Sunday, we just don't celebrate it that year. It's like, sorry, St. Yeah. Eulogius, you're out. <laughs> right? Like, which You got uh, trumped. Eulogius, March 18th? I don't know. I think it is. We have a friend who's son's born on saint eulogius uh, and they didn't name him saint eulogius so disappointed yeah kevin was rooting for eulogius but other days such as those solemnities for example march 25th annunciation which fell on good friday this year got moved because they don't want to get rid of it completely but they also you also can't celebrate good friday and annunciation on the same day so it gets moved. So things get a little bit complicated. You can't just say, this is the date because things get moved. So I'm going to do my best to kind of sort through all that in the mini episodes. Um, but just know, like, sometimes the Sacred Heart of Jesus is going to be in May. Sometimes it's going to be in June. I'm not crazy. It's just that that depends on Easter, right? Yep. Okay. Also, of note is you'll hear sometimes people talk about, like, the traditional feast day or like the old feast day of something versus the new feast day. Yeah, explain more. We want it to get more complicated. Yeah. So this is where the general Roman calendar comes in, which sets the dates for our feast days. And in the 50s and 60s, it went through a ton of revisions, kind of around Vatican II time. Um, And the current calendar that we use basically comes from 1969. That's when we kind of landed where we are. But previous to that, there were a lot of revisions that went on because there were some feast days where the church felt like, well, that's kind of a double feast day. Like we'd celebrate two different aspects of the same saint and they'd say, well, let's just celebrate one as opposed to having doubles for these people. Um, They also removed some feast days altogether. So for like example, St. Valentine, it technically Valentine's Day is it no longer the Feast of St. Valentine or even the memorial or optional memorial of St. Valentine? Hmm. It's actually, what, Cyril and Methodius or something? People always tweet about this because, yeah, yeah. you know, it's cool to be cool and know that that's not true. Um, but they just decided, you know, there's not enough evidence for, for the story of Valentine to say definitively that this is completely accurate, even though it's like there's some historical, but there's also a lot of... Uh, kind of myth that goes with St. Valentine. So then they said, okay, well, we're not going to celebrate that anymore. St. Patrick, however, that is his real feast day. That is a Catholic. So if you go to Mass, that's what you're going to celebrate is St. Patrick, but not St. Valentine, right? Yep. And then they also kind of messed around with, um, (laughs) I was just loosey-goosey, a bunch of priests sitting around. No. Um, (laughs) They, well, they decreased the amount of octaves we have. So we used to have, right now we just really have a a couple of octaves but there used to be an octave, which an octave is an eight-day celebration of an event where every day is Sunday. Like Easter. Like Easter, the Easter octave or the Christmas octave. There used to be an octave for All Saints Day. There used to be one for St. Joseph's Feast Day. 
but they cut down the octaves. They thought too much octaves, apparently. Because like the Christmas octave is from Christmas to the Feast of the Magi, traditionally, those eight days. Well, those are the 12 days of Christmas. Oh. Yeah, so it's octave really just the first eight. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, um, but it, that's Christmas season. Although, it, anyways, Sorry. let's not get into that right now. We'll get into that in December. <laughs> it gets complicated. Um, but then they also took out some of the fasting days and some of the holy days of obligation. And you'll even notice within your diocese sometimes you'll be like, well, it's a holy day of obligation usually for the Lincoln diocese, but nobody else. <laughs> that's kind of how. <laughs> yeah. God bless you, Lincoln. I know. They were like, you know what? Holy Thursday or not Holy Thursday. Ascension Thursday is on Thursday, right? Everybody else, it's no longer Ascension Thursday. Growing up as kids, it was Ascension Thursday. So that's why I say it's roughly from the 1969 calendar, but there have been some changes, especially within like the localized church. There's been some changes. Which all, with all that loosey goosiness going on, there's been some changes, but Lincoln will yeah. have none of it. No <laughs> loosey goosey up there. Nope. Yes. So like I said, it's complicated. There's, there's feast days, but feast day in general what i say the feast day it, it could be an optional memorial memorial or solemnity when we usually talk about the word this person's feast day so kind of have to know your stuff it's confusing moving on <laughs> that was point number one <laughs> of notes about liturgical <laughs> 10 year. minutes later but now we're moving to number two which is that each month is dedicated to a different devotion this is a little more simple. So, I think so, yes, in the secular world, we all know, like, oh, February's Black History Month and there's a Breast Cancer Awareness Month, right? Well, in the USA, we do this, but um, we didn't make it up. This is something that people have done throughout history and the Catholic Church has been doing throughout history is the church has said each month of the year is going to have a particular devotion or particular. Um, aspect of the church that we're going to focus on. And I think that's important to note that the church is telling us, hey, this month we want you to think about X. Yeah, because basically people from the beginning of history have always organized time in a particular way to emphasize particular things. So even just think about like Greeks and Romans naming months, those are named after Greek and Roman gods, right? Or like Lisa was talking about with modern day, like we do different months. And um one amazing uh, example of this is when Napoleon took over France. So he took over a very um, Catholic country, but he was a secular ruler. And so what he wanted to do is just create his own calendar. So he named each month something different. He named it after like um, frost, something agricultural. That was his theme. He went back to nature instead of the church's feast day. So it was like frost, fruit, flower, meadow. So that was the name of the month, like yeah. it's the month of meadow. And each one of them has a picture of a woman, which is kind mm. of interesting. Anyways, but um, so like he totally changed the way time was structured. Even he did this. He changed the calendar every single month was 30 days. Every single week was 10 days. There's only three weeks every single month. Oh, interesting. So you'd have seven weekdays and then three days for the weekend that you'd have off. France must have been so confused. So then they would have like each day was named after a different thing, agricultural. So like every day with the zero was named after an uh, agricultural tool. And then every day with a five was named after a different animal. And then any other day was just some type of plant. It's so interesting because it just shows like humans were made to have structure and order and to worship something. Mm-hmm. And so you really, I really think you see it prevalently in our American culture. Not that everything is bad, but like, 
like football season is treated like a liturgical season yes. should be treated, right? Yes. Like there's yep. tradition behind it mm-hmm. and we prepare for it and there's special foods that we eat and yes. we gather to celebrate. And it's, it's just like, yep, let's replace this like what used to be a Catholic culture, the way, you know, that we would have certain food we would eat for certain days and then certain things we would celebrate during certain seasons and we would gather for celebrations. Like we're going to do that as humans, no matter what. Yep. The other one real quick is the idea of a weekend. And this is very modern. So we, we've, we didn't go the Napoleon route with 10 days, but we, we still have seven days, right? Seven days is based on the order of the days in creation, right? That's a very Judeo Christian idea, seven day week. But this idea of a weekend uh, is really a modern day concept. For a medieval Christian, you would work for six days and then you would have Sundays off. And it's like, well, that's a jip. You don't have as many days off. You don't have a weekend. But they had about 52 feast days every single year. And those feast days, you would have off from work. And so your 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 whole life, I mean, even your days off and your leisure all revolved around the church's calendar. Still got the same amount of time off. Uh so you see this even like in, in Downton Abbey where the, it's the Dower, Dower, the Dowager, Dowager. Mm-hmm. at one point in time, they're having a conversation in the, uh, Tom, no, not Tom. Who's, who's the, oh, I almost gave away. Don't the even say it. Yeah. I know Anyways, what you're thinking. Somebody at the table says something about a weekend and the Dowager stops. She's like, what is a weekend? You know, like they were just showing the, the writer was showing like early 19th century, they didn't have, like, that wasn't something she was even, she even, she hadn't even heard of a weekend before. So, like, 100 years ago, not really this idea of weekends. Mm-hmm. Modern day concept. Mm-hmm. Now we don't get feast days off. That's like the national holidays, right? Like, we have a couple of national holidays. Yep. Those used to just be feast days. Mm-hmm. Anyways, there's Anyways, so much more we could say on so this, many but we things. have to Let's move go on. to number three, which is every month the Pope asks for the church to pray for specific intentions. Yes, and I just want to mention this because I think it's really cool that we as a church have something that the Pope asks us to all pray for together. And they they put those out uh, at the beginning of the year, so there's usually one intention that's kind of predetermined. And sometimes he'll add something late in the game if there's like a natural disaster or something that's going on in the world um, to add to that that's the technical term again late in the game late in the game <laughs> we're not influenced by uh football season at all no <laughs> punted and late in the game <laughs> yeah i was thinking soccer for those terms oh, thank you yeah right world cup i mean yeah we may be living the world cup bandwagon right now ourselves maybe every day again we're not saying it's bad we're just saying it's an interesting thing to notice about our culture how mm-hmm. much has changed so anyways uh, these these intentions are either going to be uh, universal, so like a prayer for everyone, or a prayer specific for evangelization. So I'll be mentioning those in kind of ways that you can can incorporate that intention into your month each month in a, in a way as you're praying for the thing to then um, have an action to go with it. Great. Number four is every home needs a space dedicated to prayer. I heard this awesome Pope Francis quote just on this very point that Pope Francis says we need to have a place in our home for prayer, but I couldn't find the quote, which is very annoying when I can typically pull out a Pope Francis quote, like with the best of them, but couldn't find this one. But the catechism in paragraph 2691 says that uh, for personal prayer, you can have a prayer corner with sacred scripture and icons in order to be there in secret before our Father. In a Christian family, this kind of little oratory fosters prayer in common. So the catechism, the Pope all emphasize we need to have this spot. Like we have a spot in our home for so many different things and each spot 
has a purpose and a reason and a, and a place in our lives, but so does prayer. And so if we want to have prayer more in our lives, we need to create like a geographical place to remind us, this is what we do. This is what we're about. This is who we are. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be an entire room. You can just have, you know, in our house, what we have space for is I just have a sofa table and it's our family altar. And that's where we keep all of kind of our sacred images or icons or books, or we have a little rosary hook that's below it and we hang all the rosaries. And so I will talk about this space in your home in the mini episodes talking about, okay, so for your, um, I call it family altar, mm-hmm. um, you know, but in your, your sacred space in your home throughout different months, as we're celebrating different, different, um, things, which is a terrible word, but you know, each month, if there's the sacred heart of Jesus, well, I'm going to suggest that you put an image of the sacred heart of Jesus on your table during the month that's devoted to the sacred heart of Jesus, where we're meditating on that as a church and just ways that you can use that space to live liturgically and to remind you of what's going on in the life of the church. Or another example would be, um, there's great novenas leading up to most feast days. So if you're going to pray the St. Joseph novena for the nine days, well then put out a statue of St. Joseph. You don't have a statue. All you have to do is go online, get a picture print the picture. So just get a great eight by 10 frame and trade out the pictures and put an icon of St. Joseph on there. You've printed yourself. You can have a great collection, a little binder of all these different St. Feast days that are important to you. And you're just trading out the pictures. So when you walk by that, you remember, oh yeah, St. Joseph's feast day is coming up. Ask for his intercession in a special way during that time. So that's going to be an important piece I'm going to talk about quite a bit is having that dedicated prayer space and different things that are going in that prayer space as we go through the cycle of the year. I love your tips. They're just always so like, oh, I would have never thought of that. And that's cheap, cheap and super easy. So a little foretaste of the great things of our listeners to yes. look forward to. And one more quick idea too, is to just get a little chalkboard and each month write out the Pope's intention on the chalkboard, have it on your altar. And then you can remember, oh, what are we praying for as a church this month? This, and it's right there. And then you can just wipe it off and write, Pope's intention the next month. And we've never even done that before. So I'm excited to do that. No, but we will. That's right. All right. Time for the how-to challenge. We are a little over because living liturgically is that riveting. It's just so much fun. It is so much fun. Are we in overtime now? (laughs) We're in extra minutes. I got the the eye roll I was looking for off that comment, and uh, I hope you enjoyed it with me, everyone. All right. How-to challenge. How-to challenge is to listen to the monthly mini episode, which comes out tomorrow, and choose two things that you can do that month. And for each of the months, just choose just two things. I'm going to give you way more ideas than you could ever handle or you should ever try. That's right. So please don't take that. I don't do everything that I'm going to suggest. That Mm -hmm. would be insane. You would die. But choose two things choose two things and this for me I'm actually very excited about to be getting back into this because when we were homeschooling up until two years ago we like our curriculum was based upon the liturgical calendar pretty much (laughs) but we're no longer homeschooling um and so it's really dropped off in the amount that we do and so I really want to um pick back up on this a little more especially as we welcome another new little baby into the home it's just a great time to kind of reset some things as life is really resetting new job new house coming up all that Mm -hmm. stuff so um and please continue to pray for the house it's we've taken steps but nothing's been solidified that's right so um yes so i'm gonna for accountability be posting on instagram pictures of some of the things that we're doing using 
the hashtag how to Catholic. So be on the lookout for that and feel free to join in if you do something liturgically. Post a pic, hashtag how to Catholic. We'd yeah. love to see it. Seriously, that'd be great. And then you can see everyone's ideas at the same time. Mm-hmm. It'll be like, it'll be awesome. It'll be awesome. Well, that is our final whistle and our show for today. Thank Stop you for it. listening in. If you want to connect with us, our email is hello at madeofmagnify.com or you can find us on Twitter and Instagram, Kevin R. Cotter or Lisa Ann Cotter. And that's Ian with no E. As always, if you enjoy the show, please get a rating on iTunes, add it to your podcast subscriptions, and tell a friend. This helps us get out the word about how to Catholic. Until next week, be saints. It's worth it.